What if every day you had the chance to experience more love and intimacy in your life? We're going to be sharing stories of struggles and triumphs in love, sex, and relationships, along with expert advice to create more conscious connections. Enjoy this podcast with Dawn Richard. Wake up to real love. Hi, everyone. This is Dawn Richard, also known as The Awakening with Dawn, and this is the Wake Up to Real Love podcast, where we share stories of struggles and triumphs in love, sex, and relationships, along with expert advice to create more conscious connections. I am super excited and honored today to invite my guest, Dr. Gary Salyer. Hi, Gary. Hi, Dawn. How are you doing? I'm doing amazing. I'm so excited to talk to you. Um, Gary is a transformational relationship mentor. For the last decade, Dr. Salyer has been in private practice offering singles and couples heart-centered transformation so they can rewrite the rules for love in their brains and create a love that lasts. Dr. Gary speaks to a national audience as a featured expert on various celebrity TV and radio shows such as Hay House Radio and Coast to Coast AM. He's the author of the groundbreaking book, Safe to Love Again, How to Release the Pain of Past Relationships and Create the Love You Deserve. This is an amazing book. Dr. Gary Salyer, welcome. Thank you for having me, Dawn. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so honored. I mean, I, I just told you, like, here's the book. And I underlined and doggy-eared and put notes in because I have, I mean, this book really just, it's, it's like 10 more levels, you know, up and over and above the information that's out there already. So I'm super excited to talk about it. I'm super excited to deep, to dive deep into it. But first I have to ask you a question about your Thanksgiving. Sure. <laughs> what was the meaning of your Avenger Thanksgiving? <laughs> <laughs> I was like the adventures, he has the shield and everything. That's just me there. You know, believe it or not, not, I am not Dr. Salyer all the time. There's <laughs> Times when the you're Gary, man. Up. Sometimes I'm Gary. It goes back to going to uh, my son's um, uh, Halloween party over a year ago. Not this uh, one, but the year before, as Captain America. And uh, I, it was a, it was a kind of a thing where a bucket list thing, and I went out and got an authentic, real you know, expensive Captain America outfit. Actually, fit in it, and I got the shield. And I was just being goofy that morning fixing the turkeys and what, how many turkeys do you know uh, met their faith, fate by an Avenger? <laughs> so why did you want to be Captain America? I always, you know, when I was a kid, I collected comic books, you know. You did. Was, my, I did. My dad used to have a million of them and somebody made, I think his mom made him sell them. And he every, like, he still talks about, I wish I had my comic book collection. Well, I, I did Spider-Man, Iron Man, never that much Captain America, mm. but I always had this thing, you know, and by the way, I have the same story, mom, 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 throughout my, mm. my comic books, you know, which I had the original Spider-Man, it would be worth like $100,000 now. Wow. Anyway, not that I would ever remember that, but, <laughs> <laughs> but when Marvel released these, these movies, I always had this thing, and Steve Rogers is, you know, he's actually secure attachment. Uh, Tony Stark is avoidant, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, I, uh, and he's got such integrity. Um, I just like Steve Rogers. 
you know, I see a little bit of who I would like to be in, in, in Steve Rogers. Like which part, like which part of who you would like to be? You know, he, he's, in, he's, he's all about being an integrity. Now, I don't know that we always agree, but, but, you know, he's about, he's an honorable man, right? And yeah, he's all about making sure that there's good in the world. And I just, there's just something about Captain Steve Rogers that is just kind of cool. <laughs> you know? Well, the, I, yeah. No, go ahead. I, I, mean, I have to say, I mean, overcoming a borderline mother, there's a part of me that you know, kind of knows that, you know, I can, do, that his determination, <laughs> the, the line is that he says, you know, I can do this all day. Well, I'm not so much fight, but I sense his, that sort of determination is a good thing to have in life. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, because you uh, you grow up in kind of a chaotic family. Oh yes, chaos, exactly. And when you grow up with a borderline mother, you know, is it's uh, there's a lot of chaos because you know borderlines are known to to just erupt out of nowhere, mm-hmm. and uh, you walk on eggshells. Mm-hmm. So that was part of the soul lesson I. I chose, so I would ask the questions later in life that drove the research that gave you the book, you know, so. Yeah, but, um, grow, but growing up as a kid in that must have felt pretty scary. Oh, it was more than scary. It was. Uh, she could turn terribly violent and mm. she had a fondness for knives mm. when she did. So yeah, you had to keep a track of her, <laughs> you know? And so some of the ways I, I distance became uh, equal safe. Mm-hmm. And at right. that time, it's like I try to tell everybody, whatever our attachment system is, some part of our brain chose the best deal available. It's like your, your best coping mechanism to keep yourself safe and, and where you didn't feel safe. Yeah. So if as a four-year-old, I could be down there playing in the kitchen and be thrown against a wall, or I could play by myself. And, you know, and I pretend I was a moon astronaut and which, which feels better being a moon astronaut yeah. or, you know, being now, when you take that sense of distance and, and your brain is creating distance and your wife comes up to you in your first marriage and says, honey, I feel lonely. And I go, I don't understand. I'm in the same house with you. Mm-hmm. Not so good. Yeah. But because that, that old best deal was traveling with me, like it didn't have an expiration date. And that's the way it is for all of us. That part of our brain that comes up with these adaptations, it lives in an internal now. There's no past, present. And until we go back and do the work to show that it's safe to belong, it's safe right. to love again, then <laughs> right. uh, it keeps running stuff. And usually for the other person, those safety patternings are pretty annoying, if not disheartening. Mm-hmm. Well, you yes. did. You did have some sense of safety. I forget. Was it your grandmother? My grand. I believe that my grandmother was it. She died when I was seven. Mm-hmm. But I believe that she uh, really understood uh, that her her daughter was mentally ill, mm-hmm. and we lived with my grandmother and grandfather most uh-huh. of my childhood. Uh-huh. And you know, uh, uh, you know, grandma and I. Shoot, man, we would make. Uh, Man, we would make desserts, <laughs> kitchen. We would make banana ice cream and strawberry mm-hmm. ice cream. Oh yeah, that's right, the banana ice cream. <laughs> oh yeah, man, it was all good stuff. You know, yeah. um, there were no moments like that that I can much remember. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so you know, I do believe 
that she was probably the one that gave me just enough mm -hmm. to counteract the rest of it. God knows where I might have been if I had just uh, my mother. And, and what I will say that is, you know, um, my grandmother was married in Willem when he was younger. I mean, uh, from what I can tell, he was an alcoholic and had a real mean side. I don't think that the grandfather I met was the grandfather who was my mother's father. And I think she got a real bum bill deal. Oh, mm -hmm. She was, she was able to give what she was given. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I so, think that happens a lot, actually. Yeah. All parents give what they're given. Some, and sometimes it's just a pity how little they've been given. Mm -hmm. Now it takes some work to be able to say that. Right. And, uh, <clears throat> but there came a day when I realized that, um, a lot, most of the time my mother was distant until she was angry. And I realized one day that uh, the, 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 the part of my mother that was sane, what little part of her was sane, that part of the mother rejected me because it was the only way she could keep me safe. And so some part of her did love me, the sane part did. And I can get, but when, you know, but that's badly formed, you know, that's, you know, so, you know, but those, the cool thing about this is, as I look back, I mean, I'm at 17, I'm going, oh my God, I've read victim stories. But as you go through life, uh, it was those experiences that created the questions in my soul. And without them, you don't have a book that you all, that you underlined so much. Right. Because it really gave me marching orders. How to reclaim a, a love style after all that um, was a daunting question at times. And the good news is we're just, you know, this book and there, you know, we're getting to the place where we can answer the question, what is real transformation? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it, do you think that that's why you studied what you studied in, in undergraduate school because to make sense of your childhood? Oh, there's no doubt about that. <laughs> I can remember this question has been with me since I was seven. Oh. There was, I can still remember at a drunken party, and I was, you know, and uh, and when I was seven, I had all of the all of the people in my family. They were categorized to what type of drunk they were. Mm -hmm. There were mean drunks, there were sad drunks, there were happy drunks, and there were violent drunks. Mm -hmm. And you had to know which one. And you had to be, and and and, and really, I tracked the number of bottles people I knew when they'd start getting drunk. I, I had this survival was all all down, right? And I remember, one, but most of them were mean drunks. Most of them were mean, except for my Uncle Carl. He was a happy drunk. He would give you $20. You know, I always made sure I went by him. <laughs> Stay <laughs> oh. by Uncle Carl. <laughs> yeah, I know, man. Because when you're a Get your wallet out. <laughs> said 20 bucks means something. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, you know, the funny thing was, is I was noticing how mean they were with each other. And I remember thinking, why can't adults love each other more? Why do they have to be so mean? And when I went to college, uh, first person in seven generations, right? Wow. Uh, to, to graduate in high school. So getting a PhD kind of blew that arc. Wow. Um, I, uh, I said, I, I'm going to make sure that never happens to me. So I had a double major, psychology and religion. In my senior year, um, in college, uh, my favorite psychology professor pulled me into his office and said, there's this new personality exam. I'm going to, I'd love for you to take it and do it. I want to see what the results are. And I'll give me what the results are in a few days. So I did. And a few days later, I dropped by his, his office 
And to this day, I can still remember it was two o'clock in the afternoon. And he runs through, give me, gives me the, and just as I'm leaving his office, he says, oh, I forgot to tell you, by the way, you've got a 90% chance of having a divorce. Great. Thanks for that heads up. And it was like bombshells going off. You know, what's really interesting is this summer I found out he was still alive, contacted him. We had a nice conversation. He's now 86 years old, still sharp as ever. And he remembered that conversation. Wow. I, you know, and so he goes, wow, I had no idea it had that sort of effect. That's, well, that's like a bad psychic. If they see something negative, they should just keep their mouth shut. <laughs> well, you know, I was determined. So I delayed graduation. Within two hours, I told the school I would not graduate that, that, that spring uh-huh. as I could have. And I went and did a fifth year of college getting another degree in marriage and family. Figure, <laughs> boy, I got this down. Determination. Mm-hmm. right? Imagine my shock 12 years later when my first wife says, I want a divorce. Yeah. So can, can you tell me a little bit about that relationship? Like, like what happened in it? Because here you are, this is the thing. You have all the knowledge, right? Or yes. a, a lot of the knowledge, much more than the average person. And you have been, uh, I would imagine, doing a lot of self-evaluation from your childhood to figure out, you know, how to create better relationships in your life. And then you find this woman, you fall in love. And, and then 12 years later, you're like, what, (laughs) what happened? So, so what, what was, what was going on? Yeah. A lot of things happen. And I, and when it's my contract with anybody I've been with that I never throw them under the bus, Mm -hmm. that's just not cool. So I'll talk about my own self. I do know that both of us have both said since then, and that was a long time ago, we got divorced was, um, it was just two kids from dysfunctional families mm-hmm. that didn't know what they didn't know, mm-hmm. right? But for me, I go back to those old templates. Remember, if you're out there listening, this is about, you know, just use this as an example. My brain made that old safety pattern, distance, distance. Equals, yeah. equals safe, right? right? So when that carried into the relationship, it, it created a host of patterns that didn't feel like love for her. Mm. Now, this felt this was way better than anything I lived with, but it, but you know, not so much for her, right? And so when she would say, I feel lonely, I couldn't get it, right? Uh, and because uh, I wasn't, you know, one of the things that we that's necessary for couples, for instance, is to be able to step inside the other person's mind and to really you know, what I call switch into them so you can empathize, right. you can get on their map, you can feel what they're feeling and, and make it about them and not just you, right? Getting off of self and into what I call switching into them. Well, I remember, you know, do you want to switch into a, a borderline? That's probably raging? not. No, probably not too much chaos, overwhelming for a four or five year old to have that much voltage running, right? Yeah. It's like, saying, would you like to go and touch the third rail of a BART track, you know, right. uh, light transfer? Well, you could do it, but you're going to get badly damaged. You actually won't live very long. Nevertheless, so I didn't, I wasn't real good at stepping into other people, mm-hmm. more on self, where you need to be, because she wasn't going to be there for you. So you, I had to learn, you know, to survive that way. And I can still remember, it was funny, there was a, you know, Midway through the marriage, she goes, you know, I don't feel like you understand me. I don't understand. I don't think you understand women. 
I'm in my 20s, right? And what's a good intellectual do? He goes and reads goes five books on, library. on women, right? So I, I, I said, I am going to, okay, it's just like any other final exam. I'm going to ace this, right? So I... <laughs> All in your head, Gary, all in your head. So, and the way it works out is we were walking along and I do something, I think, and she goes, no, that's not what I needed. That's not what I asked for. I go, that's funny because the book said, this is what women would like. And then another time that would happen. And I go, you know, that's really interesting because this other book said that women would like this. Well, this went on about 10 times until an exasperation. She goes, Gary, read me, not the darn book. <laughs> Good for her. Right. And now it never dawned on me to read her. Huh. <laughs> Why? Again, on safety pattern. Right. So what I got was, and I talk about these in the book, you know, I, I got, I, I didn't get a full right to separate and belong. It felt way better being separate. separate. And when some part was definitely worried, one just love go away. Okay. Which meant it was actually a little, I loved her deeply, but I, it was, it was kind of split. I didn't know how to really love her back. Had you, had you tried to go to therapy? Oh, we had done therapy. We oh. had done therapy. You know, uh, you know, were there things on the other side? Yep. Yeah. But I only talk about these. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I did exactly. I mean, you got to realize when I was, you know, staying in my head was the best deal available. People say, oh, it's in your head. But at one point in time, getting in my head and out of my feelings. That was, was the keeping best, you safe. Keeping you safe. And now going back to all these degrees I got, and a lot of people, I, call, I talk about a right to exist in the book. You know, my mom didn't name me for three weeks. The police, uh, she was I so couldn't believe that when I read that. I know. Like three weeks, my gosh. And the story, you know, until, you know, the state sent troopers out, said, you got to name him. And, and she refused. And so uh, they said, well, ma'am, if, you can't think of a name now. We can take you someplace where you'll have lots of time to think about. <laughs> and that was when my my Aunt Evelyn said, name him after your two favorite actors, Gary Cooper and Dean Martin. <laughs> right? So now staying, that's all people, if you're not welcomed with joy into the world. And some of you were related. If some part it was that you were an unwanted child in any means, right? Then the baby when you're first born it's not uh, uh the brain isn't sophisticated enough to make a distinction between the feelings they're getting in themselves right. so to tone it down they tone down the the emotional what reg, what stuff's up online and they they flee into their head now that was it. so all that safety program was what i carried into the relationship so well, even because it because it emanates from her I mean, this is, I think this is part of the thing that I wanted to talk about. It's like yes. these, these patterns that are happening in your mom, you know, this, mm -hmm. this anxiety and this energy in your mom of her unexpressed emotional process, you know, it's like that DNA is transferred to you as a baby. And so yes. she can't, she can't regulate herself. And so she's giving you that sort of energy. Yeah. And some part thank God, pulls away, mm -hmm. pulls me into my head because it's easier to do that than to try to regulate the feelings, mm -hmm. right? Now, that doesn't do so good later on. And the funny thing was, is, you know, back when I was, you know, there was a day that, you know, we talked about, 
you know, you know cognitive behavior therapy and anything right. that stays up here. Right. You know, skills, in the coaching world, they talk about limiting beliefs. You've got some limiting beliefs. No, this is way deeper in beliefs. The beliefs come on at three when this part of the brain comes on. These deep feelings that I talk about in the book, that's what's running our attachment patterns. It was a feeling of unwelcome and unprotected. Mm-hmm. That was running my... In everybody's... What I argue in the book, Safe to Love Again, is that what runs all of your attachment patterns, all your relationship patterns, are four feelings. What should be running your... What real love is, is... Do you feel welcomed with joy in a relationship? You know, you know that's like, you know, oh my gosh, we're so happy you're here. Yeah. Oh, little Don, so glad you're here. Mm-hmm. Or when you, as an adult, it's like you wake up and you hear, you know, good morning, gorgeous, or yeah. you know, good morning, handsome. Or when you come, oh, I want to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's welcome with joy. At night, yeah. you come home and someone looks at you and go, wow, you look beautiful. Well, I'm just in my sweats. You know, man, I missed you today. Yeah. That's welcome with joy. Yeah. Or it looks like you had a bad day, honey. Come over here and get a hug, right? Now, then there's there's worthy and nursed. And the, all children that are really securely loved are given this feeling it's okay to cry, to reach out for your needs, and they'll be in a tuned response act. So it's like, okay to ask for your needs and you expect to be able to receive in an attuned way. Mm-hmm. And that's where it's okay to reach out for your needs. It's okay to ask for what you your heart really wants. Then there's a feeling of, of cherished and protected, where you get to be a me, just to be like the toddler baby goes out and explores. They get to be a me. They get to play with their toys by themselves. But you know how they want a mom or dad in the room? Right. They want to wait. They just want, they they just want that presence. Yes. And the and it's a, all humans have a need to go out and explore to be a me. Mm-hmm. And then to come back to the home port of someone's mm. heart. Me, we, me, we separate right. and belong. Interdependence. Right? Interdependence, not, yes, not codependence, not counterdependence. And then empowered with choice. Uh, so empowered with choice is you get to be the standard of your own experience instead of not in a codependent way if someone else gets to be. You mm-hmm. get to be fully human. I get to be good and bad, you know, strong and weak. You know, I get to be the one who likes my sister and pulls my sister's hair. I mean, all those little things like that, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, we <laughs> get down to a four-year-old version of it, right? And when the brain feels welcomed and worthy and cherished and empowered, it's those are the feelings that tell us we're loved. And then the brain will use it for a secure baby, a baby that's being born with a full right to love and be loved. It will then... Um, use those feelings to pick someone. So they'll find something that makes them feel welcomed and worthy and cherished mm-hmm. and to maintain and create that relationship. Now the bug in the program, Dawn, is what if you were not given those feelings? What if you were given unwelcomed? Right. Or unworthy, <clears throat> or, not right. So cherished, or not disempowered? The brain will use those feelings to pick too. Mm-hmm. And then it will set up safety patterns against those feelings that come out as dysfunctional patterns in relationships, all in attempt. So whatever we came by, nothing's wrong with you out there if you're listening to this. Right. Your brain got it naturally, but you can teach your brain. It's doable change to, to have, to use these feelings. And so, you know, what we're saying here is just do an inventory one to 10 if you're listening. How well, well, in, yeah, relationships, how one to 10, how well do you feel welcomed, worthy, cherished, and 
hard, anything under seven, that's probably what I call a miss and right. <laughs> right. And uh, the relationship needs repair. I had I had a I had an insight while I was reading because I came from a pretty securely uh, attached uh, upbringing. I'm, my parents are still together 57 years. They have a very loving relationship. They came from both of them came from alcoholic chaotic families, but loving loving families, but still alcoholism. And uh, so my parents said, you know, we want to do something different with our family. So my parents were really conscientious about how they raised us super involved with their own, you know, marital growth and, and, and personal growth. Um, but for, for me, so when I was reading that mm -hmm. feeling worthy and nourished, mm -hmm. I was like, this is really fascinating because in my own relationships, I feel like I'm always the one giving, mm -hmm. always the one giving. And after re when I was reading this, it was like, oh my gosh, my sister, I was the oldest. My sister was born the day before my first birthday. Yeah. And so I asked my parents actually this year, I was like, did you guys even have a birthday party for me? My first birthday, <laughs> you know, I'm sure my mom was still in the hospital or whatever. Yeah. And, um, and I thought mm -hmm. like, you know, even though my parents were loving, like my sister was really colicky. There were, you know, she had a lot of health issues and it was like, oh my gosh, probably a lot of my needs weren't really melt. It was just like, be a big girl, go take care of whatever. And so even in secure relationships, you have these things that are living in this unconscious programming. Like I was telling, this is my story in my head of, yes. well, I probably didn't get a lot of my needs met because, because then after my sister, two years later was my brother. And so my, you know, my my parents were full of taking care of three babies yes. <laughs> and I was the oldest, be a big girl, you know, help out. And it's just like, Oh, this is really kind of fascinating. Exactly. I mean, the, it used to be that the American pediatric association told parents to space it every two years, but now they're getting wise that every two years is the, 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 the baby that is, comes on takes away from the developmental uh, rights of the, of the baby so now they're saying four years <laughs> mm. I mean, at least three or four years and that's the period but notice your mom got it naturally she was not anywhere near where my mother was no no I, sometimes yeah. well-meaning mothers can just get overwhelmed myself included <laughs> yes yeah and uh, and we all know that mothers do better when uh, there's been studies for this. Mothers do better when they are in an emotionally supportive relationship with a husband. When they're feeling worthy and nourished. Exactly. They're able to be more calm and more attentive. So mm -hmm. even though, I mean, there's no doubt that, especially the first six months, uh, usually moms are doing most of the, the attachment experience. Mm -hmm. the, uh, I, I used to think, you know, when my son was born, we thought we were going to do 50-50 and it'd be the first 50-50. But, you know, it became very apparent me after about six months that so long as she was breastfeeding, I was not getting in on that deal. I uh, There was a bond between him and her that was just not going to get replicated. And you weren't the dad that put the bottle under to pretend like it was a nipple sticking out. <laughs> no, I did feed him, but it wasn't the same type of bond. You just, you can't replicate that without yeah. the hardware. 
Yeah. <laughs> Just put it that way. <laughs> you know, now later on when it became uh, more like being his baseball coach, mm-hmm. stuff like that, that was very different. Mm-hmm. But there's an ebb and a flow, but this is about just kind of notice that whatever the experience was, your brain made the best deal available, mm-hmm. right? So you became the helper as a way of getting some positive attachment, mm-hmm. some positive connection. Mm-hmm. But there's another part of it that doesn't work so well as an adult when we need to have our own tanks filled up to be there for ourselves or anybody else. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. was, that was one of the big reasons why I got divorced because I wasn't being nourished. Yes. And you find that when you get that feeling, it becomes your reference feeling. This is what I'm talking about. If there's that feeling of, un, of I, I'm not worthy, we'll find someone who's a taker. Mm-hmm. We're not very attuned. Mm-hmm. If we have it disempowered, we'll find someone that dominates us or we'll lose ourselves in a relationship and blame them for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's lots of different patterns. I talk, these feelings create predictable patterns. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, like what you know, I've heard reading it, it's like eye opening and go, oh my God, this yeah. ties together so much. And the patterns won't change. This is the important part until you really swap out the feelings. It can't be knowing the four feelings. That's great. I mean, I wrote the book, but it's doing the deep work so your brain feels safe. You, you know in your body and, and hear at the back of your brain that I am welcome in this world. I have a right to be. I am worthy to have my needs met. When you feel worthy, not think I, I have a right, but feel worthy, feel welcomed. You feel cherished. I have a right to be in a mean and we, and I have a right to feel empowered. And I feel empowered. When those four feelings have been swapped out for anything else, that's when our relationship patterns change. So, so let me ask you, because I know in the book, you said that, that, well, and we, and we all do probably struggle with, uh, you know, a few of these to varying degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that you said that you didn't feel welcomed with joy. So how, how did you learn? Cause I, I have a couple questions. One, like, how did you come up with the four feelings and how did you come up with the with the six rights and and how did you do this work to feel welcomed with joy like this is this is because this is this is what all of us need to learn how to do for ourselves you know perhaps with professional help but these are the awarenesses i mean this is why this book is so brilliant because it makes all of this um conscious you know, because we go around, I think we go around feeling disconnected from our bodies and from our hearts and from our minds because, you know, there's so much chaos going on unconsciously um, a lot of times. And so how do you take this awareness of, oh, I need to work on this to, for instance, in your case, like I needed to give myself or to help myself feel welcomed with joy. So how, what does that process look like? Okay. Well, first of all, when you say I need to give myself this, I mean, no one, this is deep work. You need somebody that really knows how to do this work. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not all therapists know how to do it. Some, they don't. I, you know, I've been introduced as part of my NLP training program to the neo Reikians. just, you know, and when I began, to- you mentioned them a lot in the book. Yeah. Oh, yes. It's, this is an adaptation of neo Reikian developmental psychology. Uh-huh. Once I, I read through a bunch of the primary leaders uh, re, uh, research. I began to realize, well, wow, this is this is 
this is very good. Even though some of it was out of date, I realized, you know, just because it's quote unquote out of date, these people are talking about something that just didn't get picked up on. <laughs> right. This is like, to me, it feels like ancient wisdom. Yes. And I began to notice with my clients. Now, if we just try to do it all by yourself, just read the book and do it by yourself, I would call that a missing right. More right to separate and belong because you're right to belong is right to get proper support. Mm. <laughs> right? And people have blind spots and you can't, and you need, it's hard to give yourself a resource feeling you don't have. Okay, a reference for it. But, and I began to notice that every time someone had a, what do we call a missing right? I talk about six rights in the book, a right to exist. And when you are given a feeling of welcome with joy, you get a right to exist. You get to be in the world, right. a right to have your needs met, which is what is done when mom and dad's attune and give you what you need and you feel a right to reach out and have your needs met. You feel worthy. If you feel cherished and protected, you get a right to be a me and a we, a right to separate and belong. And then if you're allowed to be fully human to create your own experience and you get to do the master, mommy and daddy aren't telling you who you have to be, you know, you can't feel that, whatever, right? Then you get a right to create your own experience. Mm -hmm. If you're given a voice and it's okay to speak your truth and to have your choices and wins, you're given a right to assert. So empower gives you these two. And then the brain adds all that up. If you get welcome, worthy, cherished, empowered, you get a right to love and be loved right back. Right. Yeah. So uh, I began to notice that the feeling of welcomed was the feeling that you could see when anybody had a missing right to exist, it was like, oh my God, that you could see them suddenly relax. That was the feeling that healed them, welcomed, some form of welcome. You began, I began to realize for the right to have your needs met, suddenly it was the feeling that would, would if I could re-swap that out for the feeling of worthy or deserving, I, I had to debate between those two, but I went with worthy because worthy goes back to value. <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Then for anybody that had more right to separate and belong one way or the other, I talk about being a split right, you get one or the other sometimes, the word was cherished or some something very close, seen, mm -hmm. cherished, mm -hmm. protected. Those were the, the feelings that people needed to feel. With a man, you might think I'd, honored or appreciated or respected. I'll go with that if you're a man. Mm -hmm. Okay. And a uh, woman and a woman cherished and adored. Yeah. Cherished and adored, cherished and protected, especially every woman wants to know her man will be there mm -hmm. you know, to protect her. And we all need to be protected at some place. You know, that's, I mean, that's, we all do, but I think there's, you know, I, I know that that's a, uh, I think an ancient need in women from mm -hmm. 10,000 years ago, mm -hmm. you know, then uh, the feeling for no, when someone didn't have a right to create their own experience, they had to create somebody else's experience. Then that, and the next one, the right to assert, it was always the feeling of empowered. That was the heel. Right. Right. And then when I, and then, you know, then you got lovable. And I just began to realize, oh my God, what heals them is the original feeling. Mm. Because welcome children, I mean, if you, do your job as a parent, they will feel welcomed. And when I back, I go, oh my God. And then I stepped into the mind of a child. We know these attachment styles, uh, secure, anxious, or avoiding their lifelong ways of relating that travel throughout a lifetime. Right. We can track them back to babies one to one and a half year old. 
there's no, and I began to ask, so what is determines this, our attachment styles? And I knew about the rights and I knew about the healing feelings. And I took about, a, and one day I spent about a week thinking, what is the baseline? And it dawned on me. The only thing up and running at a year to year and a half, it's not limiting beliefs. It's not identity. No. It's not labels. It's not stories. It's feelings. Mm -hmm. And then it dawned on me, oh my God. The, all these healings are the brain looking for the original feelings of its original attachment, the mm. what it came here, what it deserves. And then I realized the original secure feelings are all those feelings I was using to heal clients, welcomed, worthy, cherished, and empowered. And then I realized those feelings are like, and feelings are like motivational states. In a human brain, if, if feelings, feelings don't have words, but if they did, they'd only say two words, yes, or no. Mm. So our welcomed and worthy and cherished and power tell your brain at a deeply subconscious level, yes, to love. And unwelcomed, unworthy, uncherished, disempowered, they are no. No to reaching out. No to being in a we. <laughs> no mm. to raising my voice. Mm -hmm. Whereas empowered says, yes, I can speak to my partner, my truth. Worthy says, yes, I can ask for what I really need. Cherry says, yes, it's good to belong. And protected, it's good to belong and not be up on yourself in a room doing your research and your wife saying, I feel lonely, <laughs> right? These feelings. And so if someone's thinking it's just dating advice or dating coaching or just a lot of like therapists will sometimes, they concentrate on giving better skills. To, right. To techniques. Here, we'll give you all these techniques. That will not heal. No. That will not heal. That's just, that's, that's the cognitive behavioral stuff. Yes. Is it, I, do I give clients who are couples skill sets? Yes, but never before you give them the feelings so they won't do it. Uh, the story I tell is about the, the, it's give the feelings, restore the feelings that restore the rights and then the skills. That's why the chapters are laid out exactly in that manner in the book. Uh -huh, uh -huh. But what I notice is if, uh, if, a, if you try to get the skills too quick, then they will do the skills, but they'll give each other their missing feelings, unworthy or undisempowered. They'll just do it in snarky or weird ways. If you think about it, I, my sister, um, who was several years younger than me, and I found out from the story in my 20s from my third grade teacher, she, when she, you know, I was teacher's dad, you know, <laughs> Mrs. Graham was just wonderful, right? And uh, I, I was speaking in my, in my mid or late 20s. And I noticed, oh my God, there she is over there. And she's like 80 years old now, right? And she's gritting ear to ear because she recognized me all these years later, right? And she told me this story where my sister was much more alike being, being a girl. She took after, she modeled more my mother than I was. I was on the opposite side, anything in the opposite way I'm going, but not so much her. And so, you know, and mom didn't do a lot of welcome with joy. Even at best, it had snarkiness to it. Mm -hmm. uh, so Mrs. Graham thought she was getting another version of me. Now, what she did, the way she taught, she would have visitors come in all the time, and there would be a greeter of the day. And, the greet, and when someone would knock on the door, if you talked about flowers and for science, she'd have a florist come in, <laughs> bring in flowers. You know, I mean, I just, it was all sorts of stuff. We talked about fish. She'd ask somebody that ran the, a little you know, aquarium, bringing little packages of fish and talk about fish, right? I mean, she was genuinely a really cool old fashioned teacher, right? And so one day early on in the year, 
she had somebody coming in and she picked my sister to be the greeter. And my sister, she goes, so you're answering, she goes, well, what do I do? She goes, well, you go to the door and you open the door like this and you say, welcome in. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. There's your skill set. So the day comes, knock on the door, you know, Mrs. Graham looks at my sister, sister gets up, opens the door, says, well, come in. <laughs> <laughs> you know, same sales sketch. Wow. Wow. She gave the feeling that it tracked. Yeah. So this is why it's so important. Your brain's original CPS, the feelings that told a little child at one, they could be securely attached. They, that they were loved are the same feelings that your brain is using. Now, every time I work with couples, I am tracking those feelings. Just stay. Notice that uh, um, both people, one feeling not cherished, the other one not feeling uh, so empowered. Mm-hmm. And it just looked cleverly disguised as, you know, an argument about a certain topic. And we probably that probably the same stupid argument about lots of different things, but it's the same underlying issue. Yes. And then they started battling each other, right? And but Underneath that, when you pause it, one just needs to feel cherished. Do you understand me? And the other one says, yes, but you need to know, I need some flexibility. I need to feel some empowerment here. I don't want to feel trapped. Mm -hmm. You know, underneath trap is usually disempowered. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, and then, you know, it's gradually allowing our brains to feel safe because the brain took those rights off the bat, off 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 the table for a good reason. How long do you feel like it takes people to go through that transitional process? Because it's, it's like, it's, retra- it's retraining those neural pathways in your brain, right? Yeah. To, to, make, to make the love equal something different than what it was originally. Yeah. yeah. You know, it depends on the person. But uh, I would, you know, in it, in it's, in it, if some, you know, it depends on who the practitioner is helping them do this. This is uh-huh. new work. Uh-huh. I'm actually, I'm actually be training some therapists on how to do this because this is good. Not good therapists have been uh, geared. I I remember working with a therapist who had 30 years in the fi- in the field. Mm-hmm. And at the fifth session, she goes, "My God, you've changed my attachment system. I was told you couldn't do this." Mm. Now she knows. Wow. And the next session, she comes in. I'm using this with my couples. <laughs> of course, this is a treatment and diagnosis. So, you know. Depending on who you're working with, someone actually understands this theory and how to give the feelings. Those are two different things. I didn't talk about the technical stuff in the book because that wasn't its purpose. It's there to give people a roadmap so they go, oh my God, this is doable change. This is how I get back to a secure attachment. This is how I stop being anxious as a boy. This is a roadmap. Right. So I can have a, a, a home port in my heart for myself and then for someone else. And I can be in their heart. You know, I would say, you know, it's usually give or take six to 12 months. If mm-hmm. someone, you know, but that I'm. I'm if the person's people. willing to take responsibility. If they're willing to do the work, yeah. if they're not willing to take responsibility, I'm going to ask the question, um, what part didn't feel safe to take responsibility? 
from mm. responsibility. Mm-hmm. What if you were too responsible? What if you had to be responsible for, you know. For my two siblings, younger siblings, <laughs> for instance, <laughs> for instance. <laughs> yeah, if you told me you don't want to take responsibilities that you did, then knowing that about your background, I go, okay, so what. No, I meant do, yeah, I meant do the work because this is, yeah, because I think this, I think this is what happens a lot of times in couples is that, for instance, in my situation, I felt like I was doing my work. Like I know I had a lot of stuff to, to, to yeah. manage, figure out, process. And so I worked really hard at taking care of my own work. And I didn't feel like my partner was taking care of his. And that's why, you know, years and years, I mean, even after therapy, it was like, you're not doing your part. And you're still yeah. not, you know, you're still, you're still like creating this space and, you know, there's not really a sense of intimacy or a sense of cherishing or protection or, you know, anything. So it was, I mean, I think this is what happens with couples a lot of times. Yeah, so if I'm working with a couple like that, then I'm going to, I'm going to, if he's at least willing to come in and do the work, you know, which, you know, a lot, most times when, when men come in, women have drug, drug them in one way or another, mm-hmm. right? Then I'm going to find out underneath he's not doing his part. What part wasn't given a right to create his own experience? Mm. Possibly a right to assert. What part wasn't allowed to have his wins? And so it has to choose what it doesn't want. Mm. I'm going to I'm going to look for okay somewhere, or what part doesn't have a full right to belong so he stays separate by not working on. It. Yeah. I'm going to say so somewhere is a missing one of those three rights. And, some, and I'm going to be listening for when did the little one, or maybe sometimes it can be later experience in another relationship sometimes. Right. But usually it goes back to now, instead of saying you're not taking responsibility, I'm going to, what part take, you know, wasn't given a full right to create its experience, wasn't given a full right to belong so it finds ways to sabotage. Mm-hmm. If we work at that level, then we're working at a level that can change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not about judging, it's about I have to understand mm-hmm. the safety settings that are driving everything. That's why the book is called Safe to Love Again, not, not inspired, not guilt-tripped. Yeah, right. <laughs> not judged. The judge. And yes, that's one, some part the brain took the best deal available. Uh-huh. And that's what I wanted people to realize. They are worthy of this experience of love and all of these rights I talk about. And they are deserving. And there's hope, real hope. Um, you know, there's an epidemic of hopelessness out there. Mm-hmm. When I, 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 I went to a party a few years ago in Marin, and it was a super growth community, right? About 40 people. And about 20 of the 40 had read the book attached. And this was as I was getting my book to uh, be published. And I wrote it to go beyond this very popular book by attached, because mm-hmm. I knew it was really good at describing the three attachments styles of anxious, secure, and avoidant, uh, but not so much on a cure. And I was right. Uh, these, these people who were telling me, you know, I read the book and I realized, oh, it was very insightful. I, I realized I was anxious or avoidant. And as one guy said, I had to put the book down halfway because it felt like I was walking around once I realized I was avoidant with a, an invisible sign over my head that said, screwed. Mm-hmm. There was no roadmap to the way back. Mm-hmm. Safe to love again was meant to give people hope and deserving. 
And it was meant to show people not only why things are the way they are, but a roadmap back. These feelings are reclaimable. And if we use them as our basis of doing and creating and picking and, and maintaining a relationship, things go better. But most of all, that this is what's missing. Nothing's wrong with this. We just, you know, some part of us was were given the wrong feelings. We made safety uh, precautions against that. And if we can give our brains those feelings, they will gladly pick a better future. A well, better and I, I, I even, I really, um, really loved the story that you told about you going take the class at school about how to take care of your son. And then you had to actually bring your son into the class. The teacher's <laughs> like, where's your child? <laughs> yeah, that was really interesting. The, the young buck, 26-year-old professor, 28, whatever I was, you know. And, that, and I remember thinking- like Giving hope, giving hope to the girls in the class. Yeah, that was. I mean, for those of, if you're listening to this, I mean, when I, what happened was, you know, Kenny wasn't that old and, and my wife said are you playing with him the same way you do the dog well I didn't have a father he was the other man in my mom's first marriage I had no reference feelings or idea and I was afraid and you know and I tried to get out of that accusation but it didn't work so well <laughs> so let me go read about it I went to want to take a class and I was going to take notes and I was going to get good at it. I still in my old pattern of missing right to exist being yeah. in my head, but my heart was in the right place, but I was attacking it from, or, you know, trying to solve the issue with an old maladaptive pattern, a bee in your head. That's mm -hmm. not how it works. Mm -hmm. And even, you know, and so I, 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 I saw this class next door to my class and I, and I just met the professor on the way. And she said, oh, and I was telling her I was a new dad. And she told me about this class that she's doing for moms. And I didn't know it was a, a class for adolescent single mothers. Right. right, I right. Go, oh, this sounds like a great class. I'll take it. She goes, can I come take it? So she goes, oh, yeah. So I come in the first day, you know, gray pinstripe suit with my notes and my briefcase. She goes, where's your son? I go, why would I bring my son? How could I take notes? <laughs> and she grins ear to ear. She goes, no, you can't learn to play with your son by sitting with your briefcase, Gary. You this is an experiential class, Gary. <laughs> it is. And so I, I arranged for a, 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 a young co-ed that was in my first class. I asked, I asked two of them if they, would, if they would watch my son and mm -hmm. I paid them. And so I, I remember I approached my first wife, said, look, I know this is a big sacrifice, but I would like to, to take him to school and I've got people to, uh, and so I can take this class and become a better father. And, you know, it's going to be like six or seven hours. You'll be without Kenny. Would you be willing to do that? And she's <laughs> like, thank you. And she goes, let me think for a second. Let me get this thing straight. <laughs> you want, you want, you know, you want to take Kenny two days a week for seven hours a week. Let me think about that. Yes. Yeah, you know, and so nourished, were, uh, nourished and worthy for her. Oh, yeah. So I, I it didn't take long uh, you know, for me to figure out this is not rocket science. All you have to do is get in the sandbox. It's about textures and colors and playing and letting them play with the toy wrong. And just because they're exploring with the words after about six or seven weeks, I thought, man, I didn't know it was going to be this easy. This is easy. Right. And so I said, I don't need to do it anymore. And oh my God, these these two women professors, right? Were had as soon as I said we wouldn't be there in the next week, 
they walked up to me and said, you can't do this. Mm -hmm. I go, why can't I do this? <laughs> and they said, look, and I realized I, afterwards, it was a little embarrassing for me to be in there with these 15 and 16 year old unwed mothers. But I thought I am going to learn. I'm going to get, I want to be a father more than I want to protect my ego. Yeah. Right. And, and uh, they said, you know, Gary, you don't know what you mean. You know, these women don't trust men. And here comes in a, a 27, 28 year old young buck professor who's married and wants to learn how to be a better father. She says, she goes, if you walk away, they'll figure this is the way all men are. We need you to stay. So they will get the full hit that um, there are good men out there. And that made sense. So, uh, and, you know, um, uh, it was one of those moments where uh, I said, okay. And at the end of the class, the one young woman, her, her you know, uh, who uh, I could sense from the first time I walked in, she didn't like men. I just got nothing but a dirty look from her. And, and she walked up and said, you know, Gary, you don't know what you mean to us. You, what you mean? She goes, you know, at one time she goes, I, she goes, I didn't know what a good man looked like. She goes, now that I do, I won't miss my mark. Thank you. That's, you know, uh, that's, that's the power of just, we never know when we reach out for love. Right. Uh, how we will affect others, you know? Right. Yeah, the yeah. one the one thing that you can do that's, I don't know, well, is out of love for your son, right? Yeah. And, and we simply notice that, uh, you know, I still wound up divorced because there was still a part of me that didn't have all of the rights. Mm -hmm. I was able to choose it some places, but not enough. And that's what my, what I did in Safe to Love, explain why it is, you know, I still didn't have as much of a right to separate. I had more right to separate than below. Mm -hmm. And it took a while to reclaim that. And these days, I mean, right now, I mean, I know I'm surrounded by a we that feels really good. The universe is one big we if we allow it. I'm not saying every dark corner is safe. I'm not saying every place in the country is safe or the world. But I know that, you know, right now, I have a message to get out into the world. And right now, you and I, Don, are we getting a message out. This yeah. is part of the universe sending me support and yes. belonging, yes. you know. Uh, and I have learned, I can, you know, at this end of my life, I have learned to depend on the we, you know. Uh, I don't have to do it all by myself. Now, that's, you know, when people don't have a right to be a couple, that's, I got to be by myself, or it doesn't feel safe being that those are deadly to making good couples. But, you know, now, but I can feel cherished and I can feel protected. So, so that's, that's the other part of what I wanted to talk to you about, because especially, especially because so many people end up divorced. So the people, the people who end up divorced, you know, a lot of them either don't do their work and jump into another relationship to try to rescue them from, you know, feelings of loneliness or or whatever. Um, and then there are some people who say, I don't want to do it. It's, it's too hard. You know, so I'd rather just be by myself. I'd rather be alone and happy than be with somebody who's not going to do their own work and, you know, not be happy and fulfilled. And so what do you say, you know, because there are some people who just say, I'd rather be alone. I want my freedom. You know, I want my freedom or get a connection here and there. 
Um, but, but this is the thing that I think based on the first conversation that we had, that I think that we agree on that really, really like your greatest potential, even though you have to do all the work yourself first, right? You have to do this work, but that your potential is greater when you have somebody else's perspective and that sense of belonging to really fully sort of explore and express like the fullness of who you are. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of people that are opting now to once they've gotten burned and they think, oh, you know, and they often they'll, they'll say after they, they don't realize this reference feeling of I have to do it all my own or I can't fully belong as running it. And then they generalize, oh, all men, all women, you know, or all love, or love is whatever, marriage is whatever, you know, and they don't realize it's this feeling that's been too, and they've been picking people to have exactly the experience they have the rights for. And, you know, choose, you know, when I hear someone say, you know, uh, I'm not going to go out there and find love, I'll just do it from, I'll just be single for my, and I'll invest all in my children. Those children are going to learn no right to belong, <laughs> and you're not teaching them. Well, I, I don't even I don't even mean ju- with just children because I have several girlfriends that don't have children, and a couple and yeah. a few guy friends that don't have children, and it's it's this sense of I mean, you talked a little bit about it in the book, you know, like the whole swiping left or right or whatever it is. Yeah. Culture is like fear of missing out, like maybe there's somebody better, um, you know, because. Because this ideal of I can have a best friend and a passionate lover, yes. I mean, this is this is where I think people get sort of caught because they think I can have one or the other, but it can't be both at the same time. Or that's why affairs happen because I have the love and sort of safety, and then I have the passion and experience outside of the marriage. And so it's like, how do we learn to merge both with the same person? Yeah, learn is we have to have all those rights. I talk about split right to love and be loved. Uh-huh. And uh, it's, you know, the, the difference between childhood attachment and adult attachment are two things. Balance giving, because with kids, it's all, it's all give, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And, and it's the sexual component that's different. At least we hope it's not back there, right? Um, and you can hear it. There's two ways love gets split. I have more of a right to love than to be loved back. That's typical. Sometimes if it's more narcissistic, I have more right to be to love than to actually love someone else that can go. So there's an emotional split. But the other way it can get split is sexually. Where, where, and you'll hear it when somebody says, how come the hot ones and the good ones can't be in the mm-hmm. same package? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, I mean, I talk about that in the book with uh, a story of a woman named Sabrina, right? Who... Um, she couldn't understand why she always had affairs. Mm-hmm. She was happily married. Uh, she, she said, my husband would, has been willing to do anything I ask sexually. A lot of women, I, there's no problem there. I simply have to have affairs every six months. Mm-hmm. And then I, after four or five, you know, hangouts. I get She's bored. Mm-hmm. And, and she goes, I just can't enjoy I can't enjoy him. And the word enjoy. And she goes, I can't lose my mind with my husband the same way I did with these men. So when we track it back 
to uh, early childhood. Her mom and dad don't have the greatest relationship and, and, and she's a daddy's girl. Nothing sexually inappropriate is that he transfers some of the emotional stuff to the daughter. Some, this, this happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. And one day she, he dresses her up in a red dress and puts her in a, in a beauty contest. And when the mom sees this, she's jealous. And this is how a right gets split. And the mom says, did you enjoy daddy today? Did you enjoy daddy today? So every time they go to a beauty passion, did you enjoy daddy? So now the kid is split. Mm-hmm. If I fully love, if I'm fully loved by daddy, I lose mommy. No child loses mommy. That's, you know, that's, that's not good chest pop for that brain. So she learns to tone down her affection. Mm-hmm. Did you enjoy? This is the key word. I can't enjoy my father. When she gets married, that pattern is still running and she can't be, she can't allow herself to enjoy her husband only with these. When we restore that right, suddenly, you know, different things happen. And what it happened, she changed so much that the husband wanted in bed with him, he wanted to know what happened. And then we had to bring him in. Mm-hmm. And at first he was genuinely hurt. Of course. But he was every bit as good a husband as she said. He, he understood. He, I remember him saying once, I always wondered mm. where the sadness was in those moments that came into her eyes. Mm. And eventually, everything gets patched up. And I remember they're walking out the path towards the street, out of the office, down the walkway. And he steps about, fi- about 15 feet out of the office after our last session. He stops, looks back, and he says, Thanks, Doc. I'm really looking forward to the next 15 years. <laughs> because they they had the full right to love and be loved in the, you know, that passion and partnership. And um, a lot of the dating situation is it expects that you're going to lose, you know, Dating in Captivity by Esther Perel. And there's some truth to that book. I won't uh, uh, knock that. But I think, you know, uh, a lot of people don't realize that we were born for a relationship. Is it a little more work when you've had kids and things like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, kids are a dampener field on any sex life. <laughs> you know? Right. I mean, we'll just, but it can be done. It can be done if you've got the feelings and you've got some skills. Yeah. Yeah. We have more rights than what people give. And a lot of singles are looking at their, there's a certain way apps are training people to just swipe left, swipe left, and feelings of hopelessness uh, and unworthiness, but we can do better. It's because we're swiping fast and meeting the next when we don't swipe down, or we don't do the work and we stay in relationships too long. Mm-hmm. And there are certain avoidance out there. I mean, some of the stories I hear about how people, you know, they'll, they'll all gun ho and then suddenly they just disappear. Disappear, right. But I, I, I feel, I feel like, um, you know, there's, there's this sense of, you know, people, people, when they, when they get in these partnerships, I mean, Esther Perel talks about, you know, marriage 2.0 or 3.0. It's like you, you shift and you change and you evolve, Yes. but people who get, people who get bored in relationships or people who aren't willing to face themselves and do their own work. I think that's, that's when they escape 
you know, they escape because they don't know how to manage their own stuff. They, they haven't done their own work. And so then they, they point the finger of blame at the other person. Well, if you hadn't done, or if you had done, but it's like, because it's, because it's an organic system, it's yes. an organic system that, that both people have to have all of these rights. And it's like, I, I mean, I love when you were talking about how do we, you know, what kind of relationship do we want to create? You know, there, there are so many um, people, people tend to sort of live in this box of what's acceptable and not acceptable or traditional or whatever. But because our modern marriage has really only existed, you know, yes. in the last hundred years, because before it was all contract and, you know, who can till the land and, you know, how many children are you going to have for me to, to build my, you know, legacy or whatever. And now there are all these options because there are all these options. And so how do, how do people maintain this sense of, you know, I want my best friend and companion and I want, and I want this passionate lover that I can explore and express all these various aspects of myself during my own evolution, you know, so it's the evolution of the I, as yes. well as the evolution of the we. Yeah, there has to be a we. And, you know, what you're talking about, we do have some unreal expectations, we expect our partner to be everything, and no human being can do that. Right. And I, and I do think that the settling to be alone is the new form of settling. Mm. People, women, I don't want to settle for less, but so yeah, so they settle for nothing instead. Mm. <laughs> right. So, you know, what you're talking about is this is a right to create your experience, what we're talking about. Uh, we are always evolving and both couples have to be, the we has to have the ability to adapt, to change the conditions. Mm -hmm. um, I still remember when I was undergraduate, one of the professors brought in for one day, uh, three couples. And this is part of the marriage and family uh, degree I had. And brought in a, a newlywed that had been on campus just last year, right? And I was a little surprised that she had actually married him. <laughs> like, you really? picked him? You should have swiped. No, I'm just <laughs> you know, yeah, this, you know, and then there was this old couple in their late 40s. And then there was this couple that had been married 63 years. He was 93, mm. and she was 88. And we had this very disrespectful football player uh, in the uh, class. And he asked this 93-year-old man, so what's it like being married to the same woman? I.e. having sex with the same woman over and over and over. Yes, exactly, exactly. And he picked up the lack of respect. Mm -hmm. And he says, well, young man, if you're lucky enough to be with the same woman for 63 years. And he says, he says, you're in for another thing. He says, he says, if you think you're with the same woman for 63 years, you got another thing coming. She goes, my wife has been five different women. And every 10 to 12 years, she would change. And, the, and I had to change and adapt with her. And the marriage had to change. And he described the five women he was married to with pretty good detail. And this woman was beaming just ear to ear and I remember my God that's the key 
you know, we know, you know, Harvard tracked people from 15 this recently, you know, to 70, 75. And they just every so 10 years got their self-descriptions and how they describe themselves now and how they did it 15 to 20 don't even match. Most uh-huh. people wouldn't even recognize themselves. You know, there are some continuities I have with 20-year-old Gary and, you know, 30-year-old Gary, but there are ways that which this might as well be a brand new incarnation, especially after doing this work. Right. You know? I don't think 30-year-old Gary would understand me at all. You know, we have a long talk, (laughs) you know, (laughs) you know, and um, I think that that marriage, I'm not saying that every marriage uh, should make it. There are some choices I've seen that that marriage was needed to end, but we tend to short shrift it. I have noticed in my own work with couples, so long as there's some love there, you know, it can get worked out. Occasionally, things that too much water's going on in the bridge or it just isn't right, you know, um, especially if there's any sort of personality disorders involved. <laughs> Those, or abuse. Yeah, abu- yeah, that's yeah, abuse. Yeah, so if there's physical abuse, I've told both men and women to leave, mm-hmm. you know, because of physical abuse, you know. Um, I once, once had a, a, and he wondered what, if he should stay, and she was, she was constantly hitting him with fists mm-hmm. and he says well he's a big guy and i said no no you, no 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 he says well i haven't really been physically hurt." i said if you ever respond the, the law will side not against her and you know i said and it's not cool it's not cool for many women and it ain't better coming back the other way mm-hmm. so to speak and occasionally you have those but for the most part for most couples if there's been love and you know it can I, i've you know, about 85% of the time, uh, I, I help restore uh, marriages. There's another 15% that nobody could have saved. Mm-hmm. You know, now the average in therapy is about 18 to 35%, whether you know, about 35% with a relapse of 50%, making it about 18. Working with these four feelings is a way better way because when couples are in their arguments fights it's always it's always dueling missing rights and dueling feelings yeah right and the first thing i do is i show them the pattern what the missing rights she doesn't have a right to have her needs but she doesn't get her needs met she really criticizes him and then he has no right to feel empowered so when he feels empowered he withdraws and she didn't get his needs and she didn't get her empowerment versus unworthy disempowerment right mm-hmm. when they get these feelings back and some better rights the thing starts channeling upwards, um, you know. And so, what I, the first move is to show them this couple what their pattern is in terms of these rights, right, uh, and these feelings, um, and then to get them to cause the real work in a couple is to get them to be a we, not two me's with better skills, but a we. Right. And I'll say that I get them to make the pattern the problem, not the partner. Not the partner. To stop making the and the pattern the partner the enemy and make the pattern the enemy. Mm-hmm. This is now you've got two we you've got two people in a we against the pattern. This is way better than pointing fingers at each other. Right. You know. Don't you feel like this is uh, this is where the spiritual part of this comes in? Like yes. Like all of this stuff is about learning how to love love and accept yourself and see the part and see the parts where you're, where you're not loving the partner and vice versa. 
Yeah. And a lot of times, if we have some part that we haven't learned to love and it shows up in our partner, we won't be able to love that part in them either. Uh -huh. you know? I call it soul lessons. And I, I talk about higher self lessons in the book. You won't see that in too many books on attachment because there's a lot of science in there, but there's a spirituality to this too. You have to be willing to learn your lifelong lessons. You know, I would say one of my lifelong lessons in which there are probably days I still have a few more things to learn, right? Is getting out of my head and into my heart. Mm -hmm. Probably, probably most people need to do that, Gary. Yeah. Oh, you know, people once asked me, and somebody once asked me, what was the difference between writing this book and your dis dissertation? And I said, oh, that's easy. My brain wrote my dissertation. Mm. My soul wrote this. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a whole lot better reading <laughs> because yeah. of it. And, yeah. And, you know, there is a, we, I, you know, I, if we look back, there's, uh, you know, there are lessons in all these, in every relationship, you know, if they're a past, I don't make them wrong. They're simply lesson partners, mm -hmm. you know, and how do you, how do you, if you learn your lessons, then you can pull in a life partner. That's the key. Learn the lesson. So you can say to these, all these people that showed up and you go, Oh my God, I got abused or I got so disappointed. You know, it was all there to, for you to be able to, to see your lessons, learn your lessons and move on. Because I don't believe the universe is, is rewarding and I don't believe the universe is punishing. punishing right. It right. is a mirroring universe set up to mirror, mirror, mirror. And when you, and when you look in the mirror and are willing to see what it is um, and accept what is and then learn your lessons, that's not always easy. It's not, it wasn't easy to say, oh my God, those women were right. I was in my head. Mm -hmm. I mean, that used to just infuriate me. <laughs> right you know um but and and i and being in your heart and being in your body you know uh to learn to make it's not always about you i remember people telling me in high school it's not always about you gary didn't get to what that meant until later right these are lifelong lessons and if you learn your lessons um, then you get to access more of your higher self however you imagine that whether it's your best uh, your high, your best self on your best day, and there's or there's more of a metaphysical aspect like your higher self or your soul. Either way, uh, and then we can download those infinite those sources from infinite sources. You know, whatever, however you consider that, because um, it does take resources. This what we're talking about isn't pathologizing. No, uh, I don't give people very many labels. Right. Uh, it's you know, anxious, avoiding, fine. What missing, right? What feeling do you need? So this is about adding resources because no part of us was broken. If some part just had to pull off some, some rights so that it would stay safe until the day you could recover it. That's the deal. Yeah. And it's, it's always about returning to love. I mean, even, even when you gave the example of uh, your mom, you said you had a dream and it was mm -hmm. all, all your family around you and your mom. Uh, came to you and said, you know, I, I did this in order to help you learn the lessons that you needed to learn. Somebody And somebody told that to me, I don't know, within the last year or so, like your, your ex-husband on a soul level, like he had to, had to be the bad guy, quote unquote. Um, like he loved you on a soul level. He loved you so much that he was willing to sacrifice <laughs> yeah, at a to help, to help, yeah, to help me learn 
my higher self to learn to yeah. love and care for myself even more. Yes, there is that higher self out. You, you, but if you're working with a client, you can't, you can't start there. You no, start no, you can't advice, start there. Or they'll, re, they'll reject it. But yeah. as yeah. later on, I did have the dream where um, you know, I'm watching, I like, I'm on the side, I'm on the play where all the curtains are, and I'm watching this play, and it's got all my aunts and uncles, and my mom's kind of big and dark. She was like three feet taller than everybody else, right? And I'm watching this and it makes no sense to me at all. And I said, oh, they must be doing, and for some reason, I, oh, they must be doing this just for me. And then everybody stops. They all look at me and they start, the play stops, everybody walks off. And my mother, as she's walking with the rest of the family, turns and looks to me and says, you asked me to play a hard part, but I played it, you know? Uh, the, you know, I, you don't start there with clients, but at some point in time ago, everything that all that set me up to do this so I could be write a book and you and I could be talking and everybody yes, out there this came out is of that. benefiting, you know, out of all of that. And so some part of her soul of her did benefit me. And that does not mean I want to go back. No. And get kicked out of my house at knife point in my senior in high school. It doesn't mean I want to go right. back and get beer bottles thrown at me or thrown against walls. I'm not asking. You know, at mo no point in time do I want to go back and right. do that all over again. Right. right. I mean, it's like, let's not do that again. <laughs> you know, but the questions it raised and the patterns that set up, you know, there is a beautiful higher self point. I've learned as a purpose. You know, when I said, if they can't crack the code, I will. Because after all those years of therapy, I was still managing my pain. And that was my right. major goal. Then how do we stop? How do we actually transform simply rather than manage pain? Right. Yeah. So, and that's a, and that's a, a very deep, it's a form of consciousness. And I think there's a spirituality to it. Neil Donald Walsh has a little children's book called The Little Angel and the Sun that I didn't realize he'd already beat me to the punch. Oh, <laughs> I haven't read that. I didn't know about that. And where the, uh, this little angel um, contracts wants to learn all about uh, friendliness or, some, or forgiveness, wants to understand oh. forgiveness. Uh -huh. And another angel has to incarnate and be bad, you know, so this uh -huh. little bit, they can learn about love and forgiveness. And and, you know, um, and the, the book ends and talking about all these things that I'm just, and, and God says to the little, just remember, I sent you nothing but angels. Mm. And the little angel says, when I turn off my light, I may forget who I am in order to serve you with this, right? Mm. Please remember who I am. Now, I, I, you know, I don't know that I could have delivered that to me at 30. I'm certainly not in high school when I'm dealing with it. Mm. But it, as we get older there is i have found that spirituality piece has helped me to make sense of it doesn't mean uh, you know that if you had an abusive husband you, you minimize the damage it did or you let him off the hook uh, in that way right? right there's there's a point where you have to drop the charges mm -hmm. you know just stop uh playing the victim role and keep amassing evidence of how wrong I was done because of my mother or my father. That's right. a, like having a court case, right? Uh, it's it, by not letting them off the hook, what you're actually doing is not letting- Not letting off. yourself off the hook. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, 
And, you know, but I talk, I don't talk so much about forgiveness in that instance as I do dropping the charges. It's, mm. you're, trying a, you're trying a court case that can never be won. There's a time where all corporations realize it's time to settle. It's time to just, you know, Move drop on. the charges. Yes. Uh, and that works. So, yeah, there's a, you know, it was, like I said, the book is an arc. Uh, my next book is, you know, I don't know when I'm going to write it. I'm in the process of letting it percolate, mm -hmm. uh, but it's called Safe to Stay in Love. Mm. The little micro moments, because love, love is one and lost in little tiny moments. <laughs> you know, well, it's, 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 uh, it, it's not just a feeling. You know, I mean, you have all of these feelings and you have all of these rights, and it's also a right to create your own experience. Yes. So yes. what and kind of create, what kind of, what kind of experience do you want to create in this loving container? Exactly. And we can create more empowered or we can create victim. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt that we've all been victims. There's random notice. There's all sorts of stuff. We've all been victims. We've all been perpetrators. Exactly. And the big thing that we have to do, but once that becomes identity, then we have to have more victim experiences to confirm our identity. That's a lose deal. Mm -hmm. You know, if you can see life lessons and then a purpose comes out of it, there's no victim. Right. You become creator. Yes. And yeah, and we have a right to create our own experience, a better experience, to feel empowered, to be mm -hmm. a choice, not, a, you know, to be at effect, not cause. Mm -hmm. It's a, it doesn't mean you don't be, you know, you're, you're at cause with everything. You know, you know, I'm not saying God <laughs> complex here, right? Um, but, you know, sometimes you have to let, family members go if some some family members won't learn their lessons they're going to stay in that pattern sometimes you have to let them go you know <clears throat> but uh yeah this is a deeply this is both there's a science to it and then there is a spirituality to it yeah and, well and, that's what i love about this because you talk about you know all the aspects of integrating all of this to create you know more more love in your life Yes, exactly. And we all deserve more love. And, mm -hmm. and, and just remember that if, you know, if past family exes have jaded you and said, you know, so you're going to settle by being alone, uh, you know, that's a new form of settling. The, my favorite line in the book is the word I said, no experience past relative or, 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 or ex should ever be in in control of our incarnation yeah that's yeah. giving them way too much power to say right. I will. we were born for love they you know most times we only uh we we think of only what we're not going to get imagine if you went out for pizza and you got a bad you got some bad anchovies right and the last pizza really sucked right and then you said, boy, I don't want to have bad anchovies anymore. Boy, I don't want to have a bad pizza. And you, you walked into the next pizzeria and says, look, I want a pizza, but I don't want any anchovies. I don't want to have this. I don't want to have that. Nobody orders a pizza by saying what they don't want. Right. <laughs> they simply say, okay, that was a bad pizza. So they walk in and they go, so what I really want is something with Canadian bacon and a little, and a little green peppers and a little onions, right? Maybe a little sausage. Little, little extra tomato sauce. And, you know, if I'm in Chicago's, I'm definitely going for Malnati's. <laughs> <laughs> Which I have been to Chicago. Dish. 
oh my God, the world's greatest pizza. But you know, <laughs> you just order what you want, right? Right. And I didn't say, oh, well, I don't want this and this. I just walked in here. This is, and you know, it was every bit as good as it was that. You know, what if love were like Monati's pizza? <laughs> you, you just know. go and you order what you want. You go and you order what you want and you know you have the right to create it. But yeah. first, you have to do the work to give yourself, your brain, these reference feelings so you right. won't pick. Because worthy people, people who feel worthy don't pick takers. People that feel empowered don't pick disempowering people. Right. They may meet them in the first couple of days and they go, they move on and with grace. That's the key. That's Const the key. Constantly learning and mm -hmm. even learning, experiencing, and then saying, I. I don't want that. I want more of this <laughs> and yes. it's constant evolution. And even in your partnership, you know, it's this co-creation, like I want more of this. I want more of this. And it's like, how do you work together to, to help both people experience a more magnified and expanded sense of the we, as well as the I. Yes, exactly. And the we is critical. You can no one can ever create a lasting relationship without a we. Yeah. Show me a couple without a we and I'll show you a one. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful book, Gary. I think this is amazing. Like this is this is the new attachment theory in yes. my estimation. So um, so my last question that I ask my guests. Yes. And it was meant to be that. It was meant to be groundbreaking. Well, yes, it is. It is. I'm, I'm sharing it everywhere I go. <laughs> um, so, so my question that I ask all my guests is how do you define real love? How do you define real love? For me, real love is, uh, I'm going to put in an FK. It's obviously these four feelings, mm -hmm. but real love. Uh, and it goes back to, uh, an experiment and attachment with young babies who had an attachment uh, object, you know, like a bear or a binky mm -hmm. or a blanket they mm -hmm. couldn't. Mm -hmm. and, 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 these, and this one research said, what's going on with these attachments? What makes them so attached? Little babies. And they brought these three and four-year-olds into a room with scientists and there was this big machine that would replicate anything. Of course, inside the machine was a cleverly disguised scientist or lab assistant. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know? and, and they would ask babies who had these attachments if they would, could replicate Mr. Binky or Mr. Blanket or Mr. Bear, right? Or Ms. Bear. And what they found is that you know, babies had an attachment. They weren't real attached. You know, They go, oh, yeah, let's replicate that one. But the babies that were real attached like really attached, they go, oh, no, 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 no. You can't replicate Mr. Bear. Mr. Bear is too special. Mm -hmm. And what they learned is when there's a deep abiding attachment, love, there's an essence that can't be reduplicated. And when you're in real love, yeah, you know, yes, you might find someone else who's cute, who's six, two, is, you know, whatever is on the compatibility list. But there is an essence that you can't get elsewhere. When you are in love with that essence and you realize that's when that's when people stop dating and they start committing. Mm -hmm. It's that essence they can't. Real love is when you so value and cherish and protect and invest in that 
unique essence in them. That yes, you might be able to find blonde or 6'2 or whatever else. Other people could make you feel welcome, worthy, cherished, and empowered too, if they're secure. But there's something in that essence. Real love is when there's an, two people have found an essence in each other that works for them and they deeply value it and they can't find elsewhere. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. How, can, how can people get in touch with you? Of course, you can order Gary's book on amazon.com. But how, what's your, what's your website, Gary? And I'll put it in the show notes, but can you okay. just tell it's people? It's www.garysalyer.com. Mm-hmm. If you go there, you can sign up for my emails. There's a little free gift. Yep. The video series. The video series. The PDF. Yep. Uh, called Love Notes. Yep. And uh, you can go there and that, and if you need to reach out to me for a question or you would like, you know, some a one hour session I offer to help you understand whether you have these uh, missing rights or feelings, what's really going on. You can just, you know, there's, it's not the website, but Dr. Gary at GarySalyer.com, Dr. D-R-G-A-R-Y at GarySalyer.com. But Amazon for the book, website to contact me, or there's a really cool free video series that I've been told that it's for both singles and couples. And I had a couple tell me they were both 50s, both twice divorced, Engaged, about ready to break up the engagement and just listen. Mm. Gave them what they needed, just enough. And now they're, they're, uh, they're married. So got to uh-huh. see that. Yeah. Yeah. There's, so, I mean, there's so, much, so many beautiful insights and wisdom. And uh, yeah, it's groundbreaking. So I'm so honored that you came to, to talk to me today. And for, well, you know, no, go ahead. You know, the two things that I have most cherished about readers who have written me are the two words that I hear most often, eye-opening and life-changing mm-hmm. in relationship. When, yeah. when, when it's eye-opening and life-changing, not, you know, that's, that's when I knew that uh, the book was well worth the, you know, the 10 years of researching and the three years of writing. <laughs> I think you're on to something, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, that's my service to the world. That's my gift to the world. That's why I, I came to write this book and a few others and to do this work. Yeah. So beautiful. Thank you for helping me get it out. This You're is welcome. the we. Thank you. This is so the we. Yeah. So um, so you know, I'm sure everybody who's listening will everybody's gotta go buy this book. <laughs> and um and if you feel like this conversation has been helpful for you and you know other people who would benefit from this conversation, please subscribe to the Wake Up to Real Love podcast and share, share, share. I mean, this is what Gary and I are trying to do to help people feel more love in the world, you know, in themselves and in the world. And, uh, you know, I, I always say that the most important relationship you'll ever have is the one you have with yourself because this is where the work starts so that you can create the we in an intimate partnership, the we in with your children, the we with your family unit. You know, I mean, this is a beautiful way to share and create more love in the world. So thank you so much for being here with me, Gary. It's been really an honor and um, I'm anything I can do to help you spread your message. Uh, yeah, I'm here for you. <laughs> thank you. And likewise, back at you. Thank yeah. you. So thanks everybody for listening and every day wake up to real love. All right. Take care. 
Subscribe to the Wake Up to Real Love podcast. Leave five-star reviews. And, of course, share with your friends. You can find Dawn on various social media platforms at Dawn Richard or at The Awakening with Dawn.